0: I really want your listeners to understand that we are looking to the wrong people for answers. Conventional medicine is very much a sick care system. It's focused on diagnosing a disease and managing that disease. It's based on, you know, if your labs aren't so far gone that you have a disease, we don't deal, address it. I hear that all the time. Why didn't my doctor tell me I have fatty liver? Why didn't he tell me I have pre-diabetes? Why didn't he tell me my thyroid is struggling? Because that is not how we practice conventional medicine. And so we just have millions of people who are frustrated with the system. And I promise you, the doctors are just as miserable and frustrated.
1: Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women, just like me, in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires, and we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. So on today's show, we're going to be talking to my friend, Dr. Tabitha Barker. And Dr. Tabitha Barker is actually known as the Gutsy Gynecologist, and she's a fellow podcaster with the Gutsy Gynecologist Show. She's actually a triple board certified uh, physician in obstetrics and gynecology she also obviously works with women in menopause and she's certified by the Institute for Functional Medicine as well and she has the unique situation of being able to be licensed and practice medicine over half the country so she's licensed in multiple states the beauty of of dr tabitha is she's lived that life in the conventional world and she has a unique view and it's kind of nice because you can hear about maybe why your gynecologist isn't thinking the same way that you would be thinking so part of what our conversation today was about was just understanding where conventional medicine comes from and and conventional gynecology why you may be trying to work with your practitioner and maybe not getting the attention that you deserve or need because you have to understand that you know the the environments a little bit different and the way that conventional medicine is trained does not really go to look for root cause so we talk a lot about root cause how to look at your hormones and how to understand if your hormones are really at play what's going on and in giving really a, a whole idea of how to really look at hormone replacement and what things you might want to think about before doing hormone replacement. The beauty of, of Tabitha, uh, Dr. Tabitha, is she's also a keynote speaker. She's a mentor. She's a wife. She's a mom and a grandma. And, you know, the, the fact that she's been able to incorporate functional medicine into her women's health practice. You know, she's been able to provide women with the tools that they need to optimize their health and their happiness. And she has a unique look at spirituality and faith. And she shares a lot of that even in that, our conversation. So join us today while we talk on menopause mastery with Dr. Tabitha Barber. Dr. Tabitha, I'm so excited to have you today. So Tabitha and I have known each other for quite a while, for a couple of years now, and I consider her one of my very good friends. But I wanted to really share her brilliance today because I think obviously the people on menopause mastery need to hear that. So welcome Dr. Talberg. Oh
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Like when I listen to Betty talk, when I listen to you talk, I just think that is everything I believe, every you know exactly how I practice. I think we're just so in sync and we've been through it. So we can testify, right? <laughs> exactly. It's like testify to the experience. It's like a-
1: you know, it's not, it's not hearsay and it's not a uh, rhetoric. It's uh, the actual truth.
0: Exactly. Sure, oh my sure. gosh. I want to just share a few months ago. I found myself so depressed, like out of nowhere. Like I was running my practice. You and I had just gone on this amazing business retreat. I'm like excited about everything I'm creating in my business Yet I was on the couch and I didn't want to move. You know, my husband tried to talk to me. I couldn't respond to him. I wanted to divorce him. He disgusted me. I I didn't want to talk to my kids. It was, I didn't know who I was. It was very scary. And it took me four days to realize, oh my God, I think my estrogen tanked. And I was absolutely right. So, I got an estrogen patch and I used the tiniest little dose because I've had estrogen dominance for years. And all of a sudden, I start to have this glimmer of hope. So I put two patches on and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm talking to my husband again. I'm off the couch. I want to shower And after about a week of wearing, you know, what was the equivalent of, I think, 0.05 milligrams, so nothing, very low dose, I started to felt like myself again. And it was shocking to me how abrupt it was and how much it almost destroyed my life. So much I did a podcast episode on it called Estrogen Saved My Life because it just made me realize Women all over the world are going through these shifts and not being acknowledged, and they don't have any idea what's happening to them. And mine was a little dramatic, you know, the fact that it happened overnight. I think usually it's a little slower process, but I just want women to hear this. Like, it literally can change your personality and who you are as a functioning woman when your hormones shift is scary.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I, I love to use this analogy, you know, in the late to mid 1800s, a, doctors in, in Egypt thought that the hysteria that women presented with was this wandering womb around the body. And they were like, well, if we just rip that sucker out, we can yep. get rid of this hysteria. So there's a reason why hysterectomy hysteria all have these sort of roots, because we do have a lot of emotional upset when those hormones break down and stop. But, you know, I I like to use this analogy when we're talking about estrogen. When you're in your 20s and 30s, it's kind of like a ketchup bottle and you're squeezing it out on your organic, you know, no filler (laughs) hot dog. And it's perfect. This perfect. S. And then you get into your 40s and it's kind of like it's half empty. So you're shaking it and you squeeze it and a little bit comes out and then a big splat comes out and then nothing comes out. And then all of a sudden it's empty. And, and I think what you experienced is often how people experience it. All of a sudden, they p- feel this profound, you know, depression. Or in my case, I get angry. Mm-hmm. I wake up bent and I'm the most mellow. I'm the person you want in the biggest, like shocking, horrible experience. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, I got it. Here's what we're going to do. But I'd wake up and I am so angry at everyone and everything and nothing makes it better. Like yeah. I want to rip people's heads off.
0: Yeah. And it's so important for women to realize that it's not all the same presentation for every woman. Every I hear it a hundred different ways in my practice, you know? So for me, it was depression. For some women, it's like crippling joint pain overnight. All of a sudden, I can't go to the gym anymore, you know? Or for you, you're irritable ripping people's heads off. Or some people are like, crying at Hallmark movies or even regular movies, you know? So I think it's really important for women to just be heard and realize that it's not just hot flashes and night sweats.
1: No, no. Those are those are the things that are actually easier to sort of deal with than some of the other side effects. Because the answer usually in conventional medicine is you're just got a prozac deficiency, that's all. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So so it's crazy. So I want you to share your story. Like, how did you become the gutsy gynecologist? You know, because let's face it, most of conventional medicine isn't on board with really stepping outside of the normal cookbook experience. Tell me about that.
0: Oh my gosh. Well. It kind of goes back to my childhood. I was a wild child. I had no plans of going to college. I did not like school. I was going to be a rock star. And lo and behold, I ended up pregnant in 11th grade. I actually married my boyfriend, went to the courthouse, and I dropped out of school to raise my daughter. But my pregnancy and delivery were so traumatic that it shifted my entire future. I had uh, an old doctor assigned to me who was like on the verge of retirement. I was on medicated food stamps and he made it clear that I was a second class citizen. Like he did not want to take care of me. So a lot of things were done to me. Nothing was explained, shots, exams, you you name it. I had a very traumatic delivery, fourth degree tear. If anybody knows what that is, it's awful. <laughs> it's being torn from front to back and I was never the same so that really shifted me into my purpose in life to become a doctor so that other women would not have to go through such horrific experiences so that they would actually you know have informed consent and know what sign what they're signing up for with their care and have options available to them like I didn't have you know, I did the unthinkable. I got my GED. I got four points at community college transferred, went to med school. Fast forward, I'm an attending physician and I'm absolutely miserable. I'm so sleep deprived. I'm living on coffee and donuts. Somebody else is raising my little children. The other one's off doing who knows what. And I wasn't healing anybody. My patients just kept coming back to me this pill doesn't work, this pill doesn't work, that surgery didn't work, what's next? And those were the tools in my toolbox, Betty. Like, that's all I had. I didn't have anything else to offer them. So it was not satisfying. It was not rewarding. And I realized I was like, not any better than that other doctor that pushed me into this world, right? In the meantime, I'm falling apart. I've got major back issues. I finally have a herniated ruptured disc. So I take time off of work and I have back surgery. I take six weeks off. I come back and I re-injure my back the third night on call. So I go to the surgeon, you'll love this. And he was like, oh, back surgery is like Lay's potato chips. You can't have just one. Really? So you want me to have another surgery? at age 40. He's like, "Oh yeah, you need some rods and screws and then you might herniate above and below so you might need an- another surgery." And I was like, "My whole life shifted. Time out. This is crazy. There has to be another way." So, I did the unthinkable and I took 4 months off of work. My very highly successful practice, I was chief of the department, you know, I but I had to do it. And I found the world of functional medicine. And I just want your listeners to realize this. Conventional doctors, gynecologists, OBGYNs, family practice, we are surviving and just as miserable as you are. I was unable to even look outside of my little bubble to know there was a world of wellness or prevention. I didn't watch daytime TV. I never read any magazines or anything like that. Like I literally was seeing patients dusk till dawn, delivering babies during the night, eating whatever I could on the go and reading the two minimal journals that I was required to read to keep my license. Right. And we look to these doctors for health and wellness, and they just don't know anything about it. I knew nothing. And so I really want your listeners to understand that we are looking to the wrong people for answers. Conventional medicine is very much a sick care system. It's focused on diagnosing a disease and managing that disease. It's based on you know, if your labs aren't so far gone that you have a disease, we don't deal address it. I hear that all the time. Why didn't my doctor tell me I have fatty liver? Why didn't he tell me I have prediabetes? Why didn't he tell me my thyroid is struggling? Because that is not how we practice conventional medicine. And so we just have millions of people who are frustrated with the system. And I promise you, the doctors are just as miserable and frustrated. I was oh. broken in a broken system.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember reading a Wall Street Journal article that came out probably five years ago. And in the article, and it, this was a huge poll, it wasn't like 50 people, only 6% of doctors would have called their profession positive. 6%. Yeah. And I'm like, they, no, they don't like it either. They just don't know how to get out of it because the conventional system is, you're right, sick care. And it's the entire system is set up to keep you sick, but don't let you die right? Exactly. He, what I call a franchise player. We want you to show up in the hospital once a year, have a procedure, make sure the hospital makes their money, see your doctor, get put on a bunch of meds because pharma then makes their money. So, you know, all of the investment firms and all the money changes hands. But if you get somebody well, you get your hand slapped on the wrist because nobody wants to pay for it.
0: Exactly. And, Doctors are trained that they know best, that they know your body better than you do, that they have all of the answers. And so when we come out of residency, whatever we learned from the trainers who've been you know, training for 30 plus years, that's how we practice. And we rarely change until we retire. So what I learned in medical school was already antiquated. The textbooks were decades upon decades old, like 1950s. I go into a residency. I'm trained by old school doctors. I learned their style of doing stuff. I pick up those habits and I come out and I practice the same way. I don't follow the research and understand all of these things that are changing and advancing in medicine because... Really, our training, once we're out in residency, it consists of a drug rep coming to the office or the hospital or the OR two or three times a week, buying lunch, training and teaching us on their drug. And that's how we manage disease. Like, there's really no... Thoughts of root cause. Why is this happening? How do we shift it and reverse it? None of that stuff that's happening in functional medicine. So, the other big piece of it is gynecologists are surgeons, Betty. We're surgeons. We're not hormone experts. So, I spent four years learning how to do a hysterectomy and surgeries and delivering babies. I did not study the intricacies of hormone balance yet. We look to our gynecologists as the hormone experts, as the women's health experts, and we rarely have more training than a family practice doctor. So again, we're asking the wrong people to help us through this midlife transition of these major hormone shifts. Gynecologists do not at the core understand what's happening with your physiology.
1: No, no. I mean, unfortunately, they get sort of relegated to passing out birth control and things like that. So that becomes sort of the, the hammer for every type of nail. And even if it's an electrical problem, we're going to throw the hammer at it anyway.
0: Yeah. And the crazy part is like we give women birth control pills and we have them on there for 30 plus years. And as soon as they hit 50, we're like, oh my gosh, you have to get off of that. That stuff is dangerous. <laughs> How about what did it just do to your body for the past 30 years? And now all of a sudden it's dangerous. It's like we've lost all common sense. I. It's sad.
1: Yeah. It's completely illogical. You know, when you look at it, you're like, okay, If hormones, your own endogenous hormones or something identical to your hormones are so damaging, every 25 year old would get cancer. And, you know, if you even look at breast cancer, having a baby earlier in life reduces your risk up to 25%, right? So if really high hormone levels were that damning, every 20 year old would be dying of cancer. It's only after your hormones are gone that all of those risks go up. And it is, it's, it's much like, you know, the last two years and the rhetoric in the, you know, in the medical community and what we've been fed ignoring basic virology it's the same thing we're nor we're ignoring basic physiology and biochemistry and touting a party line because that's the line somebody picked up and ran with saying that hormones are bad so you had to get pretty gutsy to get out and say this so so tell me like if you were to go okay what what do you want women to know about hormones right like what do they have to know
0: So the gutsy is kind of a double entendre because it was very gutsy of me to go against conventional medicine, but I also, on this journey, learned that gut health is so important to hormone health, and so I really found myself ordering stool testing on every patient and healing guts, and that's how I was healing women, and as soon as I realized that, I'm like, okay, this just has to be standard. Like when women have GYN issues, fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, you know, premature menopause, fertility issues, like you have to evaluate the gut and deal with that. There's no way around it. I've tried doing it the other way. That's what conventional gynecologists do. They give you synthetic hormones like conjugated equine estrogen or synthetic progestins. Those are our favorite. And it doesn't work. It may stop that symptom for a short while, but it usually rears its ugly head or adds two or three more new symptoms to the issue. So you really do need to evaluate the gut. That's why I appreciate the work that you're doing, because when I see a patient we do it all. We do the stool testing. We do the Dutch hormone and adrenal testing because you have to evaluate what's going on with the adrenal glands. You have to look at the thyroid, the blood sugar, the insulin. You have to do all of these tests to turn over all the pieces of the puzzle or you can't actually see the picture. And otherwise it's just like whack-a-mole, right? Like you fix one thing and up pops another and that is frustrating. And so it's been so rewarding going from that whack-a-mole type of practice to now like actually healing women, fixing the root causes. It's amazing.
1: It is amazing. So so tell me, you know, I, I would say, you know, and it might be generational, but if we were to look back, let's say 30 years, 40 years, every woman goes through menopause, right? So that's like, it's kind of like death. We are going to go through menopause. It sucks, but it's the reality. But You know, I would say, yes, my mom's generation probably didn't talk about their hormones very much. Right. It's kind of like you just didn't talk about your body stuff and your health stuff. But I I have to say that even in the two decades that I've been in practice, the degree of dysfunction is just ramping up. Right. So women before was like hot flash, low libido right? And now it's like everything else. What would you say to women about that? Like, what what things are they not thinking about that might be making their transitional from perimenopause to menopause and through way worse than maybe what it was for their moms?
0: Oh, my gosh, this is so important. Literally, when I was in medical school, perimenopause was taught that it was like a one to two-year transition before you stop having periods and you have some night sweats, hot flashes, and some mood swings. Everybody laughs about it and you get on with life. Now people are talking about perimenopause as this 10 to 15 year situation that you know goes on and on, can start in your 30s. And really it's hormone imbalance is what's happening. It's not that Our bodies were made to be in this perimenopausal state for so long. It's that we're just literally in such a hormone imbalance. And there's a few things driving that in this new day and age. Like you mentioned, our great grandmothers did not have these crazy hormonal imbalances. I think the biggest thing is probably our chronic stress. Women are now trying to have it all, do it all, be it all. We go from dusk until dawn. And we do this to the point where we burn out our ability to make cortisol our stress hormone. And, you know, our ovaries, they make estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, but our adrenal glands also make estrogen and testosterone. And I like to call them our backup ovaries. When our ovaries are done functioning and producing the way they're supposed to, your adrenal glands are supposed to be able to kick in and take over that process so that you continue to have some estrogen and testosterone during this midlife transition. But now women are going into midlife with their adrenals tanked. So they don't have this backup resource of hormones. And so menopause is very much more symptomatic. So that's one huge reason is we are just at the height of our careers we're running families we're hanging out with our girlfriends we're running triathlons we're doing so many things that our grandma's never did right the other big piece of it which i've seen a ton in the past 2 years is alcohol consumption we are drinking way more than ever in history and women's bodies unfortunately we're not created to drink that much Because here's the thing, you know this, Betty, when we drink alcohol, it gets metabolized into sugar, but it has to go through this process in the liver and our liver has to set aside our estrogens and not metabolize our estrogen in order to handle the alcohol and the Tylenol PMs and the Benadryls and the Xanax and everything else it has to metabolize. And so every time you drink alcohol, not only are you like, trying to shift into insulin resistance and blood sugar issues, you're also putting estrogen on the back burner and driving this hormone imbalance. So that is a big thing. Alcohol kills the beneficial bacteria in your gut. So then your microbiome shifts, and then you start reabsorbing estrogens that way. And it causes leaky gut, increased intestinal permeability. So we can see more autoimmune issues turn on. So a whole slew of things are happening. And then the other big piece of it that our great-grandmas never had to see are the xenoestrogens, right? So all of the environmental toxins that we have created in a lab since, I don't know, the 1950s and 60s, they did not exist on this earth. We created them, all these plastics and fragrances and things, and they get into our body. They bind to our hormone receptors and they send signals like our hormones in a warped sense and they really drive hormone imbalance. So now we're seeing boys and men with man boobs and guts and we're seeing girls with puberty at an earlier age and the hormonal cancers are just through the roof and it really is from all of these environmental toxins it's
1: it's shocking because if you think before the industrial age or even the bronze age so we can go back to the bronze age everything was organic so then we had just some smi- this minor metallurgy that we were doing and then we get to we basically get to warfare and that's where everything goes up the industrial age and warfare and so now we have all these toxins and then we don't check them we don't look at what they're doing to the environment and that's why we have you know global climate change and then that's another reason why we're so very sick and You know, one of the things that I I, I early on wrote a book about detoxing back in 2009 because it was like, okay, we got to really tell this. And, you know, I updated in 2012. I don't know when I'll write another one, but I probably will. (laughs) But at the end of the day, the truth is, as soon as you detox, you retox. So the other thing is people think, well, I'm just going to do this detox. I'm like, you have to support these systems on a regular basis because all you got to do is breathe.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is such an important point. And I see that all the time women are like, "Oh, I did a celery cleanse. I did this 7-day liver cleanse. I'm good." You know, and they go back to their old ways and it's like they got the air fresheners hanging in the car, the plug-ins, you know, the perf- all the bath and body works and heating their food in plastic. Like, I had to go shopping and they didn't have my regular frozen spinach. I had to buy it in this one that you're supposed to literally cook it in the plastic bag. And I was like, oh my gosh, people are actually doing this, trying to be healthy. And all they're doing is literally just filling their body with these plastic toxins. And it's because we're so busy. I get it. We don't have the time that we used to, but you can make little shifts every day that add up and make a significant difference. Like, if you have to buy it in the plastic bag, Put it in a glass bowl and heat it up or put it on the stove in a stainless steel pan and heat it up. Like you don't literally have to heat stuff in plastic, even if it came in plastic, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. I know when people come over to my house, we remodeled the house 10 years ago and they'll, they'll be standing there. Like, let's say you're having a potluck and they're like, where's your microwave? And I'm like, what microwave? <laughs> I, don't have one. I have a convection oven. Sorry. It's going to take a little while. You know, because I just don't want that and I don't want reheating stuff in plastic because I want to protect my body because the truth is the environment's toxic. So we have to support it all the time. We talked a lot about the gut and and the hormones and other pieces. What do you want to tell women about hormone replacement? Because uh, So obviously, so, a vast majority of women are probably frightened of it, you know, and we can go off on the study that has, should never be named and never be repeated <laughs> again. seriously as a phd candidate i would i would get kicked out of committee and sent home if i produced that that study because the methodology was so bad but so a lot of women are about that so let's talk about it because obviously i talk about it but i'm a nutrition professional i'm not managing people with hormones so let's talk about what do they need to really know
0: first off the pendulum has swung so far from one end to the other when i was in medical school my first year we learn all the different systems like reproductive cardiovascular respiratory you know everything's in a silo and separate but i did learn that you should give women estrogen at menopause because it's protective it's beneficial it keeps them healthy and this was in 2001 2002 rolls around and the women's health initiative gets halted early and all of a sudden all over the media Estrogen causes breast cancer. Estrogen causes blood clots and strokes and heart disease and all this other stuff. And everybody was like, this doesn't make sense. This is so strange. But there was such widespread panic that literally doctors were told, take your patients off of hormones. They are dangerous. And overnight, everybody stopped prescribing hormones. And oh my gosh, the poor women, they just suffered. How miserable was that? But doctors are very afraid to be sued and they practice, a lot of them are fear-based. And so that's what happened. That was the sweep across the country and then around the world from this one study that was halted early. And the sad thing is that study had so many flaws and it's taken us 20 years to finally even get that out in the open. I think in 2017, one of the principal investigators finally put his tail between his legs and said, We were biased. We wanted to prove hormones were bad. We went into this saying this and we skewed the results. And as soon as we saw any little inkling of a number that would sh- prove our point, we halted it early and said that was the cause. And so Honestly, the statistics were not there, but the general trend was showing a certain way. And unfortunately, that was because it was the wrong patient population. The average age woman in that study was 63 years old. The majority were obese smokers. They already had developed cardiovascular disease. So they were 10 plus years without any hormones. And then they were put on these synthetic hormones, and that's where we saw blood clot and stroke. And the crazy part to me, and I'm sure it is to you, is that there was two arms of the study, the estrogen-only arm, and then the estrogen and the progestin arm. The estrogen-only didn't show the increase in breast cancer. It was the estrogen and progestin arm of the study, yet... Everybody ran with the scary idea that estrogen causes breast cancer. So like you mentioned, if estrogen caused breast cancer, younger women would have breast cancer. You don't, but that's not what happens. The older you get is when you get breast cancer. And actually most women are above 60s, like 70s and 80s. So, you know, I once read a study on like why do women fear breast cancer so much more than heart disease? Because heart disease actually is what kills us after menopause. And it's because of the emotional tie to that disease. When we think of breast cancer, we think of disfigurement. We think of losing our femininity and shifting our identity. Whereas heart disease your friend dies of heart disease, it doesn't have this emotional charge with it that scares you at your core because it's not associated with your identity. And so we make a bigger deal of our breast cancer friends than we do our heart disease friends in our mind. So in our mind, it's a bigger deal to us. It, therefore, it must happen to more women when in reality it does not. So, I just want women to understand like this study that came out in 2002 and scared everybody. It was super helpful in letting us understand there's a smart way to do hormones and a not so smart way, right? So, there's a safe way. You want to start hormones during the transition or probably less than 10 years out from menopause so that you can get the benefits that hormones give you. You want to use bioidentical because synthetic conjugated equine estrogen, especially as a pill, is associated with blood clot and stroke. And synthetic progestins are horrible for 101 reasons. (laughs) Unfortunately, those are also used in all of the forms of birth control before menopause. So we haven't really tackled that issue yet. And we probably won't because being able to control your fertility is really important. Obviously, that's what got me through medical school. So I didn't have a second baby right away, right? But I just want women to know what they're signing up for. It might not be the safest thing for you to be on for 20 or 30 years. So when I talk to women about hormones, I want them to have complete informed consent, have the options that they deserve, because if men were going through this, they would have all the options, right? So you need to be able to say, yes, I want to go through menopause naturally and just support my body, or heck yes, I want bioidenticals and I want them right now and for the rest of my life. So you should be able to pick whatever end of the spectrum that you want to pick. And then know that all the other systems are gonna affect this either way. So you gotta have your adrenals functioning, you gotta have your gut health on par, you gotta have your liver working. All of that stuff is so key to having balance after midlife.
1: Oh yeah, it's so right. You know, when you go back to that women's health initiative, you know, you you kind of ask the question like why we don't think about heart disease in women. You know, when women, one out of two women are gonna die from heart disease and we actually have higher mortality on the first one than men, which means we don't survive it. So 50% of men and women, I think this has gotten slightly better, don't survive the first one, but women are less likely because our symptoms are something we would have every day. Feel kind of nauseous and a little fatigued and, you know, no crushing chest pain. We, we feel bad like we would normally feel bad. So we don't even know we're having one. And, you know, and you look at that women's health study and if you actually look at the absolute risk, of breast cancer. So so the women that that were taking estra- the synthetic estrogen only had actually decreased risk of breast cancer relative to the group that were doing nothing. So it was four in 1,000 was everybody's risk. So everybody listening, if, if you're past menopause, you have a four in 1,000 risk for a breast cancer. Even taking progestin and synthetic estrogen, so the bad stuff, took it to five in 1,000. So it's not even statistically significant but yet we run with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you made a good point. Even the bad stuff is better than none. <laughs> like, And that's why there's a lot of conventional doctors that will still use synthetic hormones and you know, people question that, but I would rather a woman have that option than no option, honestly, because as soon as your estrogen levels decline and they stay low, the aging process sets in, those disease processes set in, your risk of insulin resistance and obesity and heart disease and bone loss and dementia, they all go up. Like it's a known fact. And that was just one study that really shifted our culture. But there have been hundreds of studies on hormone replacement. And it is very clear that it is beneficial for preventing, you know, disease and the aging process. It just is.
1: Yeah, actually I mean, obviously for decades we were doing hormone replacement and even more so in Europe. But up until that study, there wasn't a single study of any size that actually showed hormones were dangerous for women. So literally there was hundreds of studies previously. So it is it is so frustrating and I and I still, you know, I still meet doctors that that toe the party line and then I still have women that are just terrified despite the fact that they have horrible osteoporosis and all these other conditions and they're they're more worried about that 5 in 1,000 risk than they are about the chronic health conditions that will probably lead to greater mortality and, and poorer health span, right? So let's get down to like we want, I, I always say, I, you know, I want to basically wake up dead one day and I want that to be <laughs> as far out as possible, but with the greatest health until that moment. And the last thing I think anybody wants to do is have a decade or more where they have poor health and they're still here.
0: Exactly. And so all those poor women who were taken off those hormones in 2002, they have been struggling and dealing with all of these issues unnecessarily. And it's really sad we're doing women a huge disservice. And, you know, you mentioned the breast cancer thing. It's now normal for conventional doctors to say, oh, well. You know she's estrogen receptor positive, so estrogen feeds breast cancer. No, it means that the cell still has some normalcy to it. The receptors are still identifiable as normal breast tissue. It's not that they are so far gone and so far rogue. And this whole idea that the hormones are feeding the cancers just it baffles me. It's like we've lost all common sense and. It just it breaks my heart.
1: Yeah, I, I gave I did a whole um, podcast on estrogen, friend or foe. Just going through what's out there in the literature because it's not clear. There are some studies looking at because everybody you know talks about breast cancer like it's a single type of cancer, and there's a bunch of different ones. Right. But there are there are petri dish studies where you introduce estradiol and the tumor shrinks. Right, so it's not across the board, and it's not all. And there are possibly some cancers that it may feed it, but again. We forget that there's already estrogen in the tissue, but it's an estrone sulfate. It's not the protective estradiol. I personally believe that it's the lack of the circulating estradiol to occupy that receptor that leaves the estrone sulfate there to run. So one that's less favorable. That'll be my next dig through once I'm done with my dissertation. I'll dig into that and really get into it because it just makes me mad.
0: Right. And like we talked about, you know, on my podcast, you were mentioning all the estrogen metabolites. You need to know how your body's actually metabolizing these hormones because that does matter. How your hormones are balanced and how they're being metabolized, that can drive dysfunction and damage DNA and cells. That's what's important. It's So we have to stop making these blanket statements that like everything's black and white when it's just not.
1: Yeah. I know it's so very true. So I want to, I want to kind of flip flop to a slightly different subject. You know, we were talking earlier about stress and people's, you know, all the, you know, it's very easy for us, particularly for science professionals, right? So we dig in and we get really, really scientific. And we, I love the biochemistry, obviously, but you know, there's a, there's a part to healing that has a lot to do with, you know, the woo woo stuff or the stuff that isn't something you can identify on a, a lab or you might you might be able to pick up some stress chemistry and things like that but there's but there's a deeper side of that and that emotional connection and the spiritual connection and all of that and I know that you feel really deeply about this can you share a little bit with kind of your journey on on that process and how you see that play into healing because I think I think it's very easy for medicine to kind of go ignore people's faith spirituality and <laughs> anything that has to do with this stuff that might be kind of up here because that's we don't know what to do with that
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes, thank you. So, when I decided I was going to go to medical school, um, I found out about osteopathic medicine. And I thought, this is so amazing. There's a whole medical school that was created around this holistic idea of the mind-body-spirit approach and how everything is integrated and affects one another and we use the musculoskeletal the nervous musculoskeletal system to affect the organs but we also were studying how the brain and spirituality affect health as well unfortunately once you leave medical school you go into residency you're with the md's and all the other regular doctors you lose sight of all of that but It kept coming back to me, this idea when I would sit and listen to women, because first of all, women just need to be heard. So I would sit and listen and just let them talk. And over and over, what I would hear was that their soul was lost. Their soul was lonely. They had no purpose. Like they had attained the cars and the house and the perfect kids and the husband and the career and they didn't want any of it. They felt empty. And really what was happening was they weren't nurturing or nourishing their soul. They weren't having that relationship with their higher power that fuels your body and keeps you alive, literally. And so I really started to tap into this. And when I would do this with patients, the feedback was amazing. Like, you are so right. I I feel lost. And, you know, I I feel comfortable in the Christian realm because I believe Jesus Christ saved me and all of this. But just knowing that you have a higher power to tap into that has some effect on how you function, how you feel, how your physiology responds to your thoughts the fact that Betty and I have an energy that connects across the universe, that if you understand quantum physics and you want to go that way and you don't believe in God and Jesus Christ, like there is a higher power that has an energy field that your cells are responding to all of the time. We are electrical beings, you know, that's why... If you do an EKG on somebody, you can see electrical activity in the heart. If you go into an MRI machine, they're taking a picture based on the hydrogen molecules bouncing around the energy that's being moved around in your body in a response to the energy in the rest of the world. And so, if you can figure out a way to tap into that, that is how you're going to heal because we were not meant to be in isolation. We were not meant to not require our higher power. I believe God wants us to rely on him. He wants us to say, I need you. Please tap into that. And if you can, like, it's such a beautiful thing. So I personally love using the Bible. I find it to be a living, nourishing word like it is relevant today just as it was thousands of years ago like i can read a scripture and and see the answer that i need and a lot of times that's what's missing in health that's what's missing in disease is we just need to tap into that higher source and heal our souls and then our bodies will hear all of that and respond in kind. You know, it's like the work of Joe Dispenza. He, he takes the faith out of it. But literally, that is what's happening. When you believe that you can get better, your cells will listen.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's whenever I've had this conversation, you know, with somebody that's trying to marry the science part of it, too. And I'm like, if you can sit with yourself and if you take a moment and everybody like closes their eyes and you're like, OK, I'm going to sit and I want to observe my thoughts. So I'm going to observe whether it's a question, whatever it is. If you can observe your thought, you are not the thought, you're the observer of the thought, which is part of Joe Dispenza's work and everything else. So there's something else, whether you want to call it soul spirit, whatever you want to call it, you are not that that produces the thought. Right. That just happens to be the car we're in. This is our vehicle. So there's something there, regardless of somebody's You know, faith. What you know, what their what their religious bend is. There is this understanding, and quantum physics shows it to be true that there is the observer, the observed, and what's happening. And that if we ignore that piece, there's always going to be a piece there. Our body chemistry is extraordinary, and probably can reverse a lot of disease if we just tapped into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I see women all the time who stay stuck in disease because of their thought processes, of their just their negative thoughts that it's like a record that keeps playing over and over and over. You have to change the record, you know, or for us younger people, you have to change the iTunes that you're listening to because literally it's just a recording. It's not the truth. It's not reality. It's just what's playing. And if you can acknowledge that and shift it, your whole life will shift. I'm living proof.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's, um you know, in our, in our clinic, we have psychiatry and, it you know, and and it's so necessary, especially after the last two, you know, two and a half years of people being isolated and all those other things. But, you know, we, we struggle as humans because we don't recognize those subconscious thoughts. We have tens of thousands of them all day. And they're really about three, we can nail it down to about three (laughs) reoccurring thought processes with slightly different bends. And most of them are negative because for, you know, millions of years being able to select and watch for negative kept us safe but that same thing that kept us safe when we had to fight for our life is now what's probably causing a lot of trauma in our life you know exactly without a doubt without a doubt without a doubt so i know that you have some gifts for our listeners that you have an ebook i believe that you would like to share and we'll link to it obviously in the show notes do you want to tell him a little bit about the ebook
0: oh my gosh this is a great little resource. Like it's so quick and easy to read and it's just a a nice way to start to balance your hormones naturally because there are some things that y- you can do. You don't have to necessarily go on bioidenticals. If you want to that's awesome, but you still have to do this underlying work. It's like foundational. It's all the stuff I talked about with the stress and the sleep and the gut all of it. So it's just a great little resource um and then you can decide like hey I feel amazing I'm going to keep on this path or I need some additional support or things aren't shifting that's when you know like wow I really do need to check my blood sugar my thyroid and my adrenals and all of those other things and that's the amazing part about functional medicine is you can look at all of that. You don't have to just look at blood work, you know? i find it so funny doctors are like patients will say oh the doctor ran the full panel and the full panel to a conventional doctor is a cbc a cmp i think that's it literally those are labs that are for a sick person in the hospital unless you're in the icu All of those labs are going to look relatively normal. You know what I mean? Like, those are for sick people. Those are not wellness labs. That is not a comprehensive profile. It's got a horrible name. Um, So, please don't be fooled by the fact that your doctor ran a panel of labs. It just tells me that you don't need to be in the hospital today.
1: Yeah, it's pathology. Like, if there's something really on those, like, I'm like, yeah, you, yeah, your liver and kidney are probably not doing very well. Like we got major problems. It's like organ shut down.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. So so having that resource is great. Now you also have a podcast too. Tell them about your podcast so they can listen to you as well.
0: Yes, and you got to come listen to Betty on there. It's the Gutsy Gynecologist Show. I love talking about getting to the root cause issues of what the heck is going on with all our gynecological conditions because endometriosis fibroids, PCOS, fertility issues, metabolic syndrome. I mean, the list goes on and on. Like the way that is being handled in conventional gynecology breaks my heart and there really is another way. So if you wanna get to the root cause of that, we talk about all of those and it's eye-opening for a lot of women. So it's a great place to just like really start to understand everything that you need to know as a woman.
1: Yeah, yeah. So definitely you got to check out uh, Dr. Tabitha on the Gutsy Gynecologist and tell them where they can find you on the web.
0: Yes. so I'm the Gutsy Gynecologist on Instagram, TikTok and Dr. Tabitha on Facebook. And you can uh, go to drtabitha.com. It's D-R-T-A-B-A-T-H-A, no eyes. Yeah, but don't hesitate to reach out if you need some help.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Tabitha, thank you. Dr. Tabitha, it's been great. I love you, Betty. So good. Love you too. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Thank you, everybody. And if you heard something here you really want others to know, please share it, you know, so we can, all, we can all benefit from Dr. Tabitha's knowledge. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at BettyMurrayPhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com.